If you're interested in sponsoring How You Play the Game, please email us at podcast at osipfoundation.org. Your sponsorship may be tax deductible. Well, hide your kids, hide your wives, and hide your husbands. It's time for another episode of How You Play the Game, the official podcast of the OSIP Foundation Incorporated. Yours truly, Jack Furlong, with you as we talk to you about what's going on as far as the world of sportsmanship is concerned. This is the second episode of the month of August. The year is 2020. Hope everybody is doing well. As always, you can find us on the interwebs at osipfoundation.org. You can contact the show. The address is podcast at osipfoundation.org. And on social media, we have facebook.com slash osipfoundation. And Twitter and Instagram are both at OSA Foundation, hashtag how you, how you play the game. We've got a really great episode for you today. Uh, we have a, another roundtable discussion uh, thanks to the invent of technology. We've got them all via the computer. Uh, our good friends from the Plate Meeting Podcast and Close Call Sports, first of all, all the way out in California, uh, the uh, musical meister of the Anaheim Ducks, Mr. Gil Imber. Gil, hello, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Getting by. <laughs> as, as we all are. And from Connecticut, the birthday boy, he doesn't look a day over 43, and he's much better looking than Bob Davidson, Mr. Tim McCaffrey. Tim, how are you? <laughs> yes, and I wear the hat to show that I keep my toupee in place. So that's good. That's uh, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? Technology is an amazing thing. We have Zoom calls, and you have a hat. So we can, we're, just, we're just moving on up. Um, we have a, a great episode for everybody today. Uh, the reason I, I got both uh, Gil and Tim on today is because uh, as, as the baseball season has gotten underway, the, the short uh, sprint that we have this year for baseball, uh, we know that it's not like anything that we've had before. We know that it's, it's just a different animal altogether. Uh, we have recently witnessed uh, a, a, a handful of situations that require handling uh, in, in our game. And we've also had a situation that uh, was kind of unprecedented in some of the nice words that were said. And as I was kind of juggling them and, and trying to comprehend them and whatnot, I thought that based upon the nature of those and based upon the nature of our world right now as we are all uh, you know, behind our computers, uh, this would be a great idea to get the guys in and, and chat about it. And um, let's, let's start with uh, the, the, the positive that kind of was the impetus uh, for, for me taking uh, note and saying this is the great idea. We had a situation in Texas where, uh, you know, we have a lot of call-up umpires this year, a lot of first-time umpires due to the nature of uh, a lot of guys opting out for various legitimate reasons. And uh, we had... Uh, uh, what's his name? Nate Tomlinson made, made his made his debut, and he was in Texas, and he had a number of uh, replayed calls that were overturned and whatnot. And the the broadcasters, Tom Grieve and Dave Raymond uh, of of the Texas Rangers, did something that they didn't have to do, but it was it, it was very heartwarming and very touching. And uh, Gil, since you since you broke the story. Uh, why don't we start with you, and then uh, Tim, I'll turn it over to you for some comments as well. Gil, why don't you tell us what you reported, what you know, what happened, and um, and 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 your thoughts on it, and then Tim, if you could follow that as well. MLB is debuting a slew of rookie umpires this year, people who have not called regular season games due to 
largely the opt-outs of the big league full-timers. <clears throat> and we're, we're about to get to the double-digit mark for debuts. Nate Tomlinson was one of the more recent ones. He debuted in Arlington, and he proceeded within the first three innings of the game to have two overturned calls, and then later on in the game, the sixth, there was another one. They were all plays at second base involving steals and things of that nature. So he had some overturned calls. He had three OTs, and that's a tough debut to have. So you go to the headset. Bill Miller uh, has, to, has to give the sign that uh, we're reversing the call three times. He comes out of that, and you're thinking what you're thinking. And it's really easy to kick someone when they're down. But Tom Grieve uh, of the Texas Rangers, he's the color guy. And he sort of um, – he sort of – took his play-by-play -play and tried to bring him on back on course because there's an extended cut of this that, that may be five, ten minutes long that you listen to, and Grieve is talking about, hey, hey you know, chin up, keep doing your, your gig, you've been around for so long, you're here for a reason, all of these uplifting messages because it's, it's quite easy for, for a fan, player, coach, anyone else to – see something and see an umpire. Why, why did they even bring this guy on? He can't do anything. And not realize all the work that went in. And so Grieve paints the, the human picture, the story behind the actual umpire on the field, the off-field stuff. He says what's going on. His play-by-play -play guy tr makes, makes a joke about, oh, it's fun to yell at the umpires. And the, when, when Grieve says, it's not right to take cheap shots, the other guy says, but it's fun. And Grieve says, well, maybe, but that's not right and tries to bring him back on track. So, so Grieve was really the guy who was dedicated to, to trying to spread the humanity message and the kindness message here, which is a real pick-me-up in the world where we don't get that too often. Yeah, first of all, it's never fun to punch down. If you find yourself punching down at those less fortunate or those don't, you know, and when you look at it's the players and the media punching down at the umpires. They don't have a voice to, to fight back with. So I'm just, if it's equal voice, you know, if it's two people that have equal voice, that's fine. But if they don't have an opportunity to defend themselves, which this happens all the time, then what are we doing here? You know, we have to allow, uh, and that's, that's where we come in. So I, I give credit to all the credit to Gil on this. He, he found it out. You know, we talked a little bit about two overturns and then Gil found the third overturn and listened to a little bit of the audio and the next thing you know in the umpire world we have a video that went viral uh at least as far as umpires go um because it's a small community but these uplifting messages are the ones that we've tried to get out for a number of years in our in our continued quest to change the culture of umpiring you know we both have been on this show before we've talked about it at great length and the only way you do that is if you take a long game approach and you try to put out the positives, but also you gain the respect of the community because when there is a mistake, you try to learn from it. You know, we acknowledge that it was a mistake and we try to learn from it. In this situation, Nate Tomlinson had two very non-normalized plays at second base, two steal plays that were overslides. They were tricky plays to get right. He didn't get them right. Then he had a third play. He was probably in shell shock. And then the response was incredible. I mean, you got big league guys texting him. You've got, you know, former minor league guys and current minor league guys messaging him and just all chin up, chin up, chin up. And I, the only reason I know this is because a few have reached out to me for, you know, contact information, which I didn't have. But that's, you know, one of the reasons Bob Davidson posted on the site. You know, I mean, just the guys that stick up when – you have your worst day. I always tell the guys on my crew, I always told them that your best day, don't get too high and don't get too low on the worst day because the, it can flip-flop just in a span of 24 hours. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, you, you also pointed out a great point that, you know, the first two plays that Nate had were, uh, you know, not normal plays. You had the overslides and he's, you know, geez, you're, you're making your debut and you're dealt, you know, something that's not, you know, completely run of the mill. And, you know, of course, you know, of course you're going to, you're going to, you know, maybe pause question, you know, who, who knows what was exactly going on. But, you know, I think the, the bigger point is, yeah, maybe he was a little shell-shocked on that third one. And all of the responses that you, that you gave point to the compassion that, you know, people in the community have and how we should be acting in general. Um, you know, if you go down the pages, you mentioned there's a great comment from former MLB umpire Bob Davidson and whatnot. And, and, you know, these are all, you know, these are, these are all great things to remind us that these guys are human and they're going to make mistakes. And we're all, just like all of us, we're all either going to have bad days at the office or we're all going to be nervous or you know, we're all going to run the gamut of human emotions. Um, you know, and, and I, I, w- I was just so, you know, touched by that. And yet, you know, then, you know, then I'm, I'm scrolling down the page and I still see the one guy who makes this snide comment about uh, still should have hired Jeremy Rehack and whatnot. And, you know, it just goes to show you that there are still those guys out there who, for whatever reason, kind of like Gil alluded to at the beginning with Dave Raymond, you know, saying, hey, it's still fun to take cheap shots and whatnot, where, yeah, okay, so good-natured ribbing is one thing, but it seems like without the proper context, without knowing the guys and whatnot, you know, putting yourself in the other person's shoes, you know, there's still guys out there who just either don't get it or just don't know the time and the place or, you know, just don't, don't take a moment to think before they hit send or before the words leave their mouths or whatever the case may be, which we see everywhere in life. I mean, we, we, we are in a, a climate of social media where we, re, we shoot first and ask questions later, um, you know, and, and it's just, it's an unfortunate thing. It's something that we have to deal with, but it's, um, it's not uncommon, you know, and, and it's, it, it, it's just good to see, though, that the majority of people are reacting in a way to support Nate. Uh, and, and really, it, it couldn't, you know, we really couldn't ask for anything better. I mean, anything better would be basically perfection, which I know we can't have. Well, we, we had a guy criticize uh, an umpire in Milwaukee, Eric Bacchus, because, uh, you know, he missed a couple pitches in his first game. We've lost our minds collectively as a society, but I'll leave that as it may. Right. As far as baseball goes, we've lost our minds if we think that we're going to compare a guy who's wearing 113 or whatever – you know, number Mr. Bax is wearing to Ted Barrett. And let's give these guys a chance to grow. I mean, we're putting these guys that some of whom haven't worked a big league spring training game to into uh, major league baseball games uh, to which they just don't have a feel of how fast the game is or the pace of the way the game is. And now what's amazing about the cruise now, uh, Jack, is that you have guys that were fours last year and maybe, you know, fours only for a couple of years that are now twos on cruise. And with so many, uh, guys either injured or out and most of them senior members of the staff you've lost a whole number basically so now threes some threes are chiefs and a lot of twos are ones and it, it's between the injuries and the opt-outs you know they're just a dearth of experienced officials so we have to understand that these kids are going to get better just through experience you know that's just the way it is and we have to allow them to, to get that experience and not try to micromanage their every detail Right. 
And, and, and to, to further uh, explain that, you know, the, these guys who were coming up who have never seen Major League Spring trainings and, and whatnot, you know, they're, we, I know Sean and I joke about this all the time with, uh, with me knowing sleeve numbers. These guys are wearing three-digit sleeve numbers, which is the first time I think it's happened uh, in, in Major League Baseball. But it's, it's a, you know, a, a necessity based upon how so many guys are out this season and who knows what's going to happen in the future? I mean, we, we you know, if, assuming that, you know, everything dies down and goes back to normal, these guys probably go back to the minor leagues, et cetera, et cetera. But you're absolutely right in that the number of senior guys, number of crew chiefs, number of, of guys who are number ones on crews are simply not there. And there are a lot of guys, there are seven, eight, nine guys who are promoted to interim crew chiefs right now who are, you know, who, who may be ready and willing. They're, they're twos or, or something like that. They're number two guys on the crew. But like you said, there are also some threes on crews who, you know, who are up there and, and you know, might be, you know, not ready for prime time per se by the, let, you know, the letter of the law and whatnot. And, and there are a lot of guys who, who are the rookies, the fours on the crews, so to speak, uh, who are, you know, basically, you know, lieutenants, you know, and, and, and number twos. And it's, it's, it's just the nature of the world. And it, it begs for compassion. You know, there's a lot of guys who just are thrust into the situation, whether they're ready or not, and whether they feel they're ready or not, it's just going to be what it is. It's going to be a different animal. And it behooves us in the, you know, in the, in the state of things right now to show a little respect. I mean, the only, the only converse that I could, that I could argue, and this isn't meant to be something that I support. I'm just trying to think out loud here. You know, if everybody in this, in in our society right now is hypersensitive and very uh, on edge and whatnot, I, I mean, I think I speak for a lot of people when we say we want you know, life to go back to normal and, you know, we're, we're fed up and so on and so forth. We, you know, we did the episode on mental health on your show. It's, it's crazy. And I wonder if people are either already on edge so that when they see something like this, they snap right away or uh, a deeper problem, which speaks to a, a deeper issue is that if they feel that arguing or yelling at officials is part of the nature of what they are allowed to do as fans then this is something that kind of gets them back to reality. And again, that, that none of, I don't subscribe to those. I don't believe that they are inherently right. I'm just wondering if those are things where people are kind of, you know, where their minds are leading them to, to, to think that that's going to give them some level of normalcy or is just a not natural consequence of the situation. Gil, I'll let you take that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> The situation is largely like a union strike with replacement officials to an extent. That's, that's essentially what we have. And it's, it's without any of the labor strife that comes with that. It's just a very odd situation that reminds me very much of a replacement official situation. And there are several ways that those things are handled by the on-field personnel taking out, of course, the idea that you want the dispute resolved so you can get the regulars back. This is not one of those situations. So outside of that consideration, what you have is you know that there are going to be learning issues. There, there are going to be some humps in the road to negotiate and that there will be calls that sometimes 
don't appear to make much sense. They might be right. We had a situation, speaking of which, and a little bit of a tangent, we had a situation of a ball that was received poorly in Pittsburgh that was down the middle, yet called a ball because the catcher received it very, very poorly. That resulted in, in an ejection. And then we later, in a different game, and this was the, the, the bench clearing brawl game in Oakland, we had a pitch that was received a little bit better, but still slightly poorly, that was also within the bounds of the strike zone, and it was called a strike. And that resulted in an ejection. So the problem is that we want it both ways. And when we don't get it, and notwithstanding what the quality of correctness is, because what I've realized from doing years of the ejection reports, managers don't care if you got the call right. If it hurt their team, it's a bad call. It doesn't matter what the rule says. And so in this situation, we get replacement officials, newer officials, whatever we want to call the triple-digit situation that's going on. It really doesn't matter. If the call is against the team, then you're a bad umpire. If the call is for the team, then you're good. And the, the thing that needs to be said really is that we have to adjust our expectations on all ends because from the umpiring end, from the logical end, we know that we have young people coming up that need to get their feet wet and actually have that on the job training. And that means that there are going to be hiccups. Fortunately, we have replay review to help out with a lot of that. But at the same time, we have to be very cognizant that just because the call went against you doesn't mean that the call was incorrect. It just means that your interpretation of what the call should have been is perhaps influenced by your allegiance. You're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I, I remember watching both of those plays that you referenced. And, you know, the, the one in Pittsburgh, I believe, was Ramon DeJesus. And the one in Oakland, I think, was Nick Marley. Yep. And, and you know, both of those guys are actually not even – I mean, they're younger umpires, but they're not triple-digit umpires. I believe DeJesus, was he hired to the full-time staff? And, and, and Marley, I think, is still a call-up, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, this, this seems to be the situation, if I may, uh, that it's on the razor's edge. But this is the difference between the full-time staff and the call-up staff. The full-time staff calls a more traditional strike zone based on baseball folklore, whereas the call-up staff has been largely trained throughout their career to call to the computer. And so when we see something that a call-up umpire calls that might be received poorly but is technically correct per the computer – there's a reason for that. They've been trained their entire career to call to the computer, whereas the old school guys who made, may have even preceded the advent of pitch FX or its children, those guys and gals might not have been trained to call to the computer because the computer never existed for them, which means that they call an old school zone which presents problems of its own, just as the flip side of the coin, the umpires who called the computer without regard to the catcher's reception, presents problems from a different end, all based on team perception of how the call affects the team. You, you, you nailed it because in the situation in Oakland, Nick Marley called it according to the computer, and who's the manager that he ran but Dusty Baker, an old-school guy 
who, you know, so I don't think I have to, you know, spell it out for people that that's where some of that dissonance can occur. And I think that leads us into, you know, an, uh, another good discussion, because one of the, the situations that prompted me to start thinking about this, this roundtable discussion was in Philadelphia with uh, Angel Hernandez and his crew, uh, you know, working the doubleheader between the Yankees and the Phillies. And, you know, it's, it's, it's no, you know, I, I don't think that it's, you know, any surprise to anybody that, you know, Angel Hernandez has, um, you know, a, shall we say a history. We know that he is uh, battling a lawsuit right now with Major League Baseball over racial discrimination. And I think we also know that uh, the guy, you know, in his previous years, uh, may have made some questionable calls, but that doesn't mean that he hasn't improved. That doesn't mean that he's not a, a fantastic guy. And and now he is showing with his numbers just how good of an official he is. Um, and yet the perception is such that he is the worst. He trends on Twitter like he's a, you know, like he's a political figure. Uh, I get text messages from people all the time because they know that I'm an umpire. They're just talking about how bad he is. You know, there's the famous meme where on the iPhone, it says missed call Angel Hernandez. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a buddy who uh, texted me on opening night because Angel Hernandez was behind the plate of the, uh, you know, the, the Nationals and the Yankees game. And he said, yep, one of my friends just texted me. There's Angel Hernandez making it. I mean, it's, it's all over social media. It's, it's, it's become an animal of its own. And when I heard what Phil Nevin said as he was being ejected in the situation that, that occurred, where he said basically something to the tune of, we all know you don't want to be here anyway. And then when I heard the commentary, uh, I'll, I'll specifically highlight Paul O'Neill, who clearly has a bias and, you know, he's, he's beloved by Yankee fans, but when it comes to discussing umpires, he hates them. And you want to draw a connection to Joe Torrey and what he's, you know, done at, at the top of baseball since he was his manager for a while, go right ahead. I don't think that it's out of the realm of possibility to make that connection, but it's, it's sick to say that these announcers just come up and say whatever they want. They have no regard to the facts. It goes right back to that allegiance idea. And it's, it, it, it is in dire need of examination and change. Well, you'll recall that the Angel Hernandez lawsuit, and speaking of which, I wish that I had on my phone I would get something that said "Miss Call Angel Hernandez." Wouldn't that be awesome? Yes. <laughs> I, you, you have to recall that Angel Hernandez's lawsuit is suing that Joe Torre regime of Major League Baseball for racially motivated discrimination. I'm always curious. I am always curious about the legal side of things, and the EEOC claims are very straightforward yet complex at the same time as in straightforward enough as in we know what you can't do but complex because there's minutia within that but we have racially motivated discrimination i'm always curious that angel's team why don't you add a hostile work environment claim to that and then i realized well if you add a hostile work environment claim to that then you have to admit that umpiring in general not just angel but everywhere all umpires have to deal with a hostile work environment, which could put a lot of people, MLB, NBA, NHL, anyone in very deep trouble if a court or if anyone else were to rule that, yeah, umpires have to deal with hostile work environment. But that said, we talked about the three overturned game from Tomlinson. Remember the three overturned game for Angel and how he was treated after that? Oh, I mean, yeah. That's another, that's another difference, right? 
disparate treatment was part of his, his part of his claims. There's another example per chance. Well, we have that. We have the uh, Angel Hernandez objection, which, oh, by the way, was the correct call. Again, this is the thing that it doesn't matter if the call is correct or not. It matters how the team perceives it. And the team has perceived Angel, and Angel has very clearly stated in the lawsuit that MLB continues to throw him under the bus. Joe West, in his written declaration, said, I have seen personally how MLB throws him under the bus. And it, it, they do it, and it's wrong. So this is something that is a consistent theme that for Angel's team, they're, they're hoping that the court, you know, I've been looking at the case filings because they've asked the court to unseal documents. And the documents that they're asking the court to unseal, if I'm not mistaken, are documents that I believe per our numbers. And once the public sees these numbers, but we've been keeping track of these numbers for a long time, will show that Angel is actually pretty good at his job and pretty, not just pretty good, but actually better than some of the people that got promoted instead of him. Right. And that th th those are sort of the claims that he's been making for a while now, but he's looking for data, objective data to back that up, actual numbers. So it's in a situation where Angel's just threatening to expose a lot of what has happened in baseball. And a lot of people just do not like that. Uh, because there's merit to what he said and people feel threatened by that. And you can say what you want about it, but with all of the social things that are going on right now, this would be the time for that lawsuit, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and Gil, I thought you did great work to, uh, to help Joe West in his case against Paul Aduka. I think his lawyers just could have went to our website and, you know, cut and pasted. We know that people have in the past, cut and pasted stuff off our website and used it as official documents. But uh, as for uh, this situation with Angel, I mean, again, you said we're looking, you know, we've done a lot of the work for them and we have the spreadsheets over the, the overturned calls. You know, it, it doesn't take too much digging to find out that Angel Hernandez is a upper half plate umpire. Um, and for an old school guy, you know, one of the senior members of the staff, let's remember that Angel was in baseball in the 80s. So, um, you know, he's been around for a really long time. And, you know, it, it, for him to be able to call to the strike zone uh, better than a lot of the veteran guys also shows that he should be a chief. And, I, and again, you know, I, I don't like to get too much into the weeds of this, the culture, because I like to feel that we've done a good job to change the culture uh, at CloseCallSports.com. However, you know, three of the umpires that get the most vitriol are minorities. And I don't probably have to explain to you who those three are. And I'll guarantee you that there is some kind of subconscious bias with people that, oh, they're focused on, oh, it's somebody I don't like, and they don't know why they don't like them. I mean, I happen to know uh, people that know Angel Hernandez really well, and they all tell me he's a great guy. Yep. You know, people have run into people that know you know, and they all, he's a great guy. And, and, and that happens over and over again. Yet the mainstream public, I did a game last year, not to sidetrack. I was doing an under 16 game down the street from me. And the guy, the, the coach from one of the teams come up, like, I, like he knows, like, you know, the other coach said, oh, this guy's done some professional baseball. A guy comes up to me, he goes, hey, do you know, the, that umpire, that big league guy, uh, Angel Fernandez, he blew the calls uh, the other night. Mike, uh, Angel Fernandez? No, I'm sorry. I, I don't know him. Like, but this is, the, this is a guy that doesn't even know his name, 
Yet he's going around telling his kids, other umpires, the other coach, this guy blew two calls last night. I don't even know. And again, I do all the replays. He didn't blew two calls. I said, made it up. Just made it up. Yeah. Because why? I have no idea. Just let, it's, it's easy to punch down. It's easy to bully people. Just made it up. And let, I didn't want to get. And let and let's and let's not forget what you said. He, he called Hernandez Fernandez, which is <clears throat> a pejorative because that is a racially motivated misname, and it doesn't look like that. And you might think that I'm going. You're going way overboard and assuming something that's completely not true. And you have to ask, well, why would he interpose H and F if it wasn't racially motivated? He knew. He knew that the race was involved in that decision subconsciously to misstate the name. Yeah, he didn't say he didn't say Angel Smith. I noticed. Right. Yeah. If it, if it, and if it, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, you know. Look, I, I don't want to get this into a into off off the rails, but I, I have you know this is something I'm working on. You know, you work on it every day. You try to be focused. You know, Starbucks closed their stores because of unconscious bias. We all have to be conscious of the unconscious bias we may have learned through our upbringing. And, uh, you know, I, I can't speak for the rest of you guys. I was very privileged, you know, and, 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 and we have to understand that we might be luckier than somebody else and that the, pers- the pictures that we may see on the television may not be the way it is. And we may be cultured, not even know it, to not like certain things, you know, that, you know, here's the example that I, vegetables, right? I was cultured to not like that because, oh, you don't want to eat your vegetables, vegetables stick. And I, I like Brussels sprouts. I like broccoli. I like most vegetables. But it was always, oh, no, it's terrible. You know, everybody says they're terrible. I'm not going to eat them. And you eat them, and it's not that bad. Well, Angel Hernandez is like vegetables. He's not that bad. It's pretty good, actually. Well, the one thing that, the one thing that, you'll, uh, that I've always noticed is you can, you can look for this very minor micro thing that, that goes on with Angel when, when, when a call gets when – when someone in the media currently, the modern media, writes a story about Angel Hernandez, they do not call him Angel Hernandez with the acentos and all of that. They call him Angel Hernandez with accents over letters. They ethnicize his name. I mean, in the media guide, there are no accents on his name. Call what his name actually is in the book. This is MLB's book. The umpires approve MLB's book. Is it, Call is him it, his actual name. Don't, don't ethnicize him when he doesn't wish to be. The, they, and, and I don't know any better example to show you that it is racially motivated than someone adding accents onto his name when the official book by the league doesn't have that. Wow. Is there any example of them doing that for players, Gil? I mean, that's a great catch. With, with players, the players, they either have the accents, in which case the media uses them, or they don't, in which case the media doesn't use them. But they do it with – I, I noticed this where I forgot who the – I think it might have been the Yahoo guy. I don't remember what the name – and honestly, I do not care what the names are. But the, I noticed that he wow. started putting accents on Angel's name when he wrote something that Angel is bad. And – you're, that is an implicit association of race with negative qualities. And that's no accident, but it sure is subconscious, <laughs> wow. and it sure is it, – it, it, it's, it, it's a blight on the culture of the sport, which is exactly what Angel is suing the league for. And it's exactly why they don't like him. 
that do these reporters because not only is he suing the league, he's suing the culture that perpetuates the reporters doing this. So the reporter, very subconsciously, not even, and, and might not see it, but the reporter has to acknowledge that Angel is calling them out. And the reporters do not like that, nor do the fans, nor do the players and the teams. Well, nobody likes to be called out in general, and that's, that's, that's a great point. Um, for the record, uh, Tim, both uh, Broccoli and Brussels sprouts give me gas, but that's neither here nor there. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> They're that's delicious. Why, that's why we have gas X, which, which I had to explain to my non-Italian girlfriend is a thing. Uh, it, it's in every Italian household. But, so uh, let me ask you this. Okay. Do sausage and peppers give you gas? Pe- peppers can. Sausage is usually okay. Okay, but yeah. I mean, let, let's be honest. There's plenty of good foods that, you know, don't always that, you know. No, no, you're absolutely right. I'm not arguing with you. I just wanted to, you know, get but someone. But don't use that. Yeah, don't use that as your excuse, though. I don't want to eat broccoli and Brussels sprouts because, you know, they make me gassy. That ain't, that ain't good enough. They're delicious. All I'm trying to do is get someone in the medical community to sponsor this show. That's all I'm trying to do right now. Okay. But, <laughs> but, but you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I, I've made this point before. And it's a grotesque point. It's, it's, it's a little bit of an overreach, I think. But I think it aligns perfectly with what both of you have said. And, you know, I, I have likened the idea of hating on umpires and officials in general to be a new systematic, for lack of a better term, racism. Because there, you know, there is a a, a superficial quality uh, in in you know I'm going to say you know the way that we dress we have the stripes on or we you know we are all wearing the blue or what you know however you want to describe it but once you see that it's an immediate trigger in your head this guy is or gal is the enemy and you know that's why like whenever I watch certain shows on MLB Network, and they'll say things like ump show and whatnot, and they're calling out their own employees, basically, as a result of that. And I say, what you're doing there is you are making it worse. You're making the culture worse. You're furthering this negative agenda that is this, you know, a new specific civil rights movement, you know? And, and it's, it's sick because it's, you, you are marginalizing people who don't have the same voice, like you said. Uh, you know, officials don't get to grab a microphone and call out every single fan who called them a name. It's just not. It's just not how it's done. Um, you know, and Angel Hernandez, as you've said, is a fantastic guy. I keep going back to the clip from a couple of years ago in the postseason. I want to say it was 2016. I could be wrong. Uh, when uh, there was an issue with Anthony Rizzo of the Cubs. And, in, you know, he, I think he, he started walking to first base and Angel called it a strike. And then in a later at-bat, I think it was his next at-bat, there was a, a conference on the mound and some dead time. And, there, and Angel was wearing a microphone. And, and Anthony said to Angel, hey, I'm sorry about before. And Angel didn't have to do anything other than just say, hey, it's okay. And he went out of his way to say, something to along the lines of but that's how i know anthony that you're a good guy that you have the ability to say that and that speaks to your character and basically paid him these compliments which is which does not get highlighted enough you know the the, the respect that i think that you know sh- that is there or the examples of respect that that can be there gets completely negated and and suppressed so that we can 
continue to get the vitriol and the hatred going as much because that's what gets eyeballs to the screen. That's what gets pe- that's what gets the clicks and whatnot. And the, it's the conflict that that raises the, the 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 bottom line of the money and the dollar. And just to buttress your point, Jack, I mean, if, if what he said there also, if I recall correctly, and Gilly can correct me if I'm wrong, since. Uh, I'm wrong so often is the, when he also said, you're, you're, you're good to us. Like he, and he was taking the whole scenario of knowing Rizzo for as long as he has, like he's, you know, you're good to us. Like you're, you're a good guy to us. If you get that opportunity, get a little currency and react that way. If you're one of the good guys, you can get that. And a good umpire and something that I teach on my crews uh, all the time is that the guy that complains all the time, we're going to give him a lot less rope than we're going to give to the guy that we've had for 15 games. Hadn't said a word. You know, and that's what Angel was doing in that moment. And, and they put that moment on TV, let's be honest, to make Rizzo look good. Yeah. Because he had kind of showed up the umpire. Little did they know that it made, you know, Angel look good. And nobody took, took that away. Look, look at that and said, boy, that really makes Angel look good. You know, the last time we had an umpire look really good on an incident on the field, to me, it was Tommy Hallian in the situation with, with Terry Collins and Noah Syndergaard. Right, right. You know, and the way that whole situation broke down with uh, Phil Cuzzy and Todd Dishner and Adam Amari. Here's the thing: Major League Baseball tried to scrub that off the off the internet. You know, they tried to take that video down. Here's umpires looking good, and baseball's like, oh, you know, we don't want to have that. It doesn't fit our narrative. Yeah. So they tried to take that down. I mean, ridiculous. Now they tried to say it was because, well, we had an agreement with the union. This couldn't get leaked. But I don't think there was anybody at the union going, you know. Boy, this is a bad look for us, you know. Right. So, this was a good look. This is the something. This is something you do want out there. And and yet they're still in that. You know, it's yeah. You're absolutely right. It's, I, I you know, we 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 keep spinning our wheels with this. You know, it's the same thing over and over again. We keep rehashing the same thing. Um, where do we go we, from here? Well, we know that we know one thing. We know that people like to complain, and that's just yeah. a constant. People are coming to sports. We say always say it's sports. Oh, it's an escape from this and that and the other. Well, that doesn't mean that the rest of your life suddenly gets shut off when you go to sports. And we always say, as officials, you, you leave you leave the, your day job at the door and all of that. But as a fan, there's no such obligation. As a player and coach, there's really no such obligation. And it's not like the rest of someone's life is shut off. This is just an acceptable way for them to vent, or it's a socially acceptable way for them to release some steam. So you can't go home, and you surely can't do anything on the domestic front, so you go out to the ball field and do it. And that's, that's just how we are cultured now. This, every society would have some sort of an outlet. This seems to be ours. Yeah. And umpires seem to be the acceptable punching bag. That's why I go back to the hostile work environment claim to the point that you said, if MLB network personalities are inciting vitriolic attitudes toward umpires and they have the same employer, then that by definition is a violation of labor law. Yeah. But again, you open Pandora's box if you ever press the issue there, because then throughout the country, you have a whole bunch of leagues and conferences that are in real serious trouble because they promote similar attitudes. One thing that we don't accept enough, and one thing that as an umpire you can, you can sort of learn to accept, is the, the wabi-sabi concept of simply accepting other people for, if, 
oh yeah, this I, I this guy is going to complain and just accepting. Yeah, this guy's going to complain. This guy's going to insult me. That's okay. That's that's who that person is. It's not personal. I'll take it. And it's very tough to get to that level. It's yeah. absolutely impossible to get there from from just standing still. You it really takes work to and and it's very difficult. I don't know many people who are actually able to get there from the beginning, especially if you're a sensitive person to begin with. Oh yeah. A lot of sensitive people get into officiating because officiating what they don't they don't realize, especially in basketball, I get this all a lot of the time is I'll issue a technical foul for a violation of the rule, a clear violation of the rule, and a player will say you're too sensitive. And I've learned to respond to that with sensitivity is probably my greatest trait out here because I need to have the sensitivity to know when a fight is about to happen. Right. I need to have the sensitivity to know instinctively on an out of bounds call that I have no idea what happened, how to read the players so that they can tell me what happened. Same thing with a safe out call in baseball, especially the call of did the ball hit the bat or did the ball hit the hand of the batter? The batter will tell me that a lot of the time. And I need to be, I need to have the sensitive perception to be able to figure that out. I need to be able to read people that way. And so sensitivity is very, very important for officials to have as a character trait. So at the, so, so that was, that's what makes it so challenging to have the sensitivity to the character trait and be able to turn it on when appropriate and it's not just between the lines during live ball action. It's, it's a lot of dead ball, so to speak, officiating because you have the dugout chirping at the pitcher and you have to be able to tell if this is just a chirp, a harmless little thing that they do, or if this is going to incite something later on, if it could become a problem. As an umpire, you have to be able to read this stuff. And then when the pitch hits the guy in the back, well, is it a curveball? Does that make a difference between an off-speed, a slider, a break? What are these pitch? What is what is what are these pitchers throwing generally? Is right. this an unusual thing for them? Do they have the control? Is this Joe Kelly breaking a window playing the long game? And the, you know, these are the things that you have to have the sensitivity characteristic to go through, and then you have to also be able to say to turn that off when someone does get in your face and get all crazy and bent out of shape, because sensitivity at that point is probably not not going to be helpful for you and you just have to accept that this is going to happen so i think that the greatest skill that an official can have in harnessing this, the power of sensitivity is really to expect and accept accept the things that you cannot change the external locus you can control stuff you only can control what you do you you can sort of influence what the players do but at, but when it comes down to a huge argument or a rhubarb or something like that do know that people have other outside of the game reasons for acting the way they do. Right. They do have motivations that have nothing to do with you, which are even within the game that do not involve you. They don't know you. And just when, when, when we have this confrontation that happens and we want to change the culture to, so that the, the, the headbutting gets lessened, if not eliminated, it's not going to be eliminated, but less severe definitely we want to get to that direction but know that that's a very difficult battle to fight and the easier battle to fight while we simultaneously tackle that on the exterior front the easily the easier internal battle is to try to get the message that or at least get the get the self-talk that that says this person's going to complain this person is going to insult me i'm going to warn i'm going to eject per the rule book subscription but I don't have to take this, 
personally. I don't really have to listen because it really doesn't involve me. And once we accept that that is a part, an unfortunate negative part of the game, we have to accept the cloudy days just as we accept the sunny ones and the rainy ones and all of those things. But once we're able to accept the good with the bad, the job becomes a lot easier. You know, what's funny is that, you know, you, what you've just said strikes many chords in that, you know, first of all, it's, it is a, you know, like a baseball equivalent of the, of a serenity prayer uh, in, you know, in, in knowing, you know, accepting, being granted the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to tell, to change the things we can and the wisdom to know the difference between the two. But, you know, in previous episodes on the show, I've talked about how, um, you know, I, I have realized through this pandemic that I am clearly, you know, a highly sensitive person as prescribed by uh, Dr. Elaine Aaron, who is a psychiatrist in California. If you don't know who she is and you, you're looking for something to read, if you think you're overly sensitive, if you think you've been insulted about your sensitivity in the past, check this out. It, could, it, it has explained so much in my life, uh, you know, where I thought I was just different. And, and, and it's, that is, it's the God's honest truth. Um, you know, I am highly sensitive. I am an extreme example of highly sensitive. And what you just described, Gil, is something that I, I pray that I can get to one day because I try, you know, my, one of my biggest problems when I step on the field is not just the anxiety of waiting for when someone's going to complain, but the, the battle to realize that it's not personal. And I, I fight that every day because I hear something and I know it's not personal, but my psyche tells me it is. And, and I walk off the field thinking I never want to work that game again. And it, ta- it, takes, it takes more time through therapy to get over that than it does time to actually work the game, the two and a half hours where you're working that varsity game. And, I, I, you know, and there have been people who say to me, why do you do this? Why do you continue to umpire baseball if that's how it's going to be? And I say, it's a blessing. It's, what I'm, it's one of the things I feel called to do. And it's a skill at which I'm good. So it's, it's a battle, but I, 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 I'm called to it. And, and you nailed it. And I go back and forth, guys, about working. I, I love working the youth games, especially the two-hour limits. You know, up here, oh, you know, yeah. 85 bucks <laughs> cash. You know, it's you are speaking my language. You know, yeah. So I'll go out and I'll work some of those games still. So I'm like, you know, I'm and the, anybody that says they can't work that type of game, if they work like, you know, I'll work professional games, you know, Division One games, you know, all the way down to you know, every once in a while, like a 12U game. Um, I don't work high school per se. But one of the reasons I don't is because I feel like there's a, there, it's a little too stressful. So when I work a youth game, I always have a, something in the back of my head. Uh, I want to, you know, if I have a water bottle, I'll go try to engage one of the parents. Say, hey, you know, you got to watch out for my, uh, my grandmother likes to come here and yell at me. So you, see her, <laughs> you know, you, so, you en- so you engage them. Or sometimes this will happen on the plate. Like, you know, they'll be yelling at me and they're right behind the backstop. It used to happen a lot of times. So I'd go back and I'd say, Hey, uh, Grandma, can you just just tone it down? You know, it's okay when you do this at home, but please stop doing it here in front of everybody. And they'll be like, they'll be mortified at first, and then they'll start. They'll get always joking, you know, because I'm trying to loosen them up. You're yelling at me on a 14 year old game. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't make sense for you. It doesn't make sense for me. I'm not going to give you my resume. I'm going to try to lighten up the mood a minute. But let me tell you about good deeds and what they can accomplish. I'm doing a a doubleheader at Drew University. Okay. 
And this kid was throwing a baseball around and it went under one of the cars, right? So I'm getting dressed for the first game and he can't get a baseball. So I have one in my car. I probably have eight in my car, but I give him a baseball. And the parent is just amazed by this. I gave him, you know, a, a banged up Can-Am ball, you know? So, I mean, to him, I told him it's a professional ball. And they can't, so it's all banged up scuff, not even barely a bad break, but to hit the kid, it was unbelievable. So wouldn't you, lo and behold, from the same team, there's an incident uh, involving the kid. He doesn't get ejected, but he causes a situation. You know, he's arguing balls and strikes, and he's a, he's a knucklehead. And I go back out to the car, and his father comes and tries to confront me and the other umpire and screaming at us. And the parents and friends of the kid who I gave the baseball to there are there to yell at him and get him to leave. And the coach finds out about it. I get contacted. The, the kid ends up, uh, the coach ends, uh, ends up suspending the parent from ever coming to another game again. So let me just explain my point to this. I feel like this is the culture that if you, I'm not saying go have baseballs in your car and give them to a kid who loses a baseball in their car. I'm just saying react to what Gil said, your reactions of doing nice things for people, your sensitivity, all is the way that people are going to perceive you and react to you. You know, one of the reasons that major league umpires are so hated was because in 1992, when they threatened to not take the field because of the sky dome camera on top of the stadium. And I've talked to umpires and I, I haven't brought it up on the podcast because it creates a vitriol. There were people that were upset with umpires for years. You know, this was when Richie, so it's that culture that we're trying. We're not trying to show the umpire as the enemy, but rather we're trying to show him or her as human, as relatable. And that's why, you know, our videos are taking hold now. And, and Gil's done such a great job with changing that culture. I mean, not to promo, you know, us for a second, but the, our YouTube page uh, has over 200,000 views in the last two weeks. Okay. This is a relatively new page. Um, and the reason that is, is because our message is working. It's resonated. And I'll give you another example. Jim Joyce, who's a friend of the show, uh, went on Brian Kenny's show. And Brian Kenny has an audience that we couldn't reach in a year. Okay? Right. Millions of people. And on that show, he mentioned the challenge system of the strike zone. And Brian Kenny said, oh, I hadn't heard that. That's an interesting idea. And he started thinking about it. And from what I understand, Brian Kenny actually likes the idea a little bit. Now, I don't want to get into the challenge system but and all the machinations, but this is what we're trying to do. You know, we can't just bang our head against the wall and scream at the, into the megaphone and, hear, and not have anybody hear us. We're lucky that we're communicating that message through certain umpires and they are able to take that message to others. And it's, you know, it's germinating. It takes time, but I, I think it's working. And, you know, hopefully... In the next few years, we'll see the fruits of some of that labor. I think it goes away if the electronic strike zone is just put, put in place. Right, yeah. But, you know, I, I like to think that what we're doing is having long-term ramifications uh, in a certain degree, uh, you know, across the board, not only at the big level, but down below at the lower levels as well. I, I, I would agree with that. And, and I also love – the uh, the two hour time limit games that you just referenced. <laughs> I mean, I will. I, I kid you not. I I'll go do I'll go do a freshman high school game for two hours, and it's just oh god, it's it's a walk in the park. Um, as we as we begin to wrap up here, the the, the last thing I one of the last things I want to get to is you know we we see a lot in the media about 
um, you know, that, that obviously uh, makes this stuff keep going and, and, and whatnot, you know, the, the negativity and whatnot. Like I, I go back to, I think it's um, the guy on Twitter is John Boy, who I think he, he made his, his mark with the Aaron Boone, Savages in the Box, all that stuff, uh, you know, and, and whatnot. What would you guys say to someone like him who, 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 who basically has done this type of thing and, um, you, you know, gained uh, a level of fame by exposing this stuff? Well, I, I'll, I'll, you know, again, he's another New York guy. But, uh, again, he was great. You know, he was talking to himself for a number of years. If you go look at his YouTube page, he's got, he's got you know, videos with 15 views on it from not too long ago, a little right. over a year. So, and he was very nice to the umpires for a long time. You know, he wouldn't include them. But since he's a Yankee fan and he hates the Astros and feels like the Astros, he's put a lot of videos that are pro-Yankees and pro and anti-Astros, but he's also created this culture now of ripping on the umpire for no reason other than it's easy to punch down and, you know, I'm popular now, it's okay. And I don't like that culture, and I don't like what he's doing. I think there would be nothing wrong with – he doesn't have to rip on the umpires all the time. Right. And that seems to be like something he enjoys doing, and that shows to me an, a general insecurity. Well, you know? the, th the thing is that, as you, as you correctly surmised – he used to not have such a have such a great following, and now he does. And he's realizing, as many people do realize, that when you punch down, you get more clicks, you get more views, which means you get more advertising revenue, which means you get more sponsors and you get more money. And it works. It's it's the moralistic capitalist equivalent of well exactly what I just said. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you're, he's discovering quite, he's discovered the reason that he's ripping on the umpires is he's discussed. He's, he's discovering that it works. It simply works. It gets him his audience because remember sports are that outlet that people go to, to engage in bad behavior without consequences. And who doesn't want to get engaged in bad behavior without consequences besides well, most of us. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, Gil. Every engagement has consequences. You'll learn that yeah. the hard way someday, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think that's called the pornography industry. But continue. Well, no. I, I was talking about my own engagements myself. But, I see what you did there. But uh, an engagement. Ah, uh, so, yes. You know, He's, having so, a little fun. So, the, so, so the, what, what, what ends up happening is these people who gain the followings are doing it very specifically, and they realize that the fast track to gaining the following is to criticize umpires in a way that is not rooted in fact, but emotion, because emotion carries carries the day. People yeah. will will respond. If you validate their anger in a way that is fast and quick, they'll, they'll go along with it. And by simply playing a little clip of a video and going over it and saying, oh, look, the umpire is a terrible person. See, everyone who hates the umpires, you're right. That's a quick way to get the followers. But if you actually go to it and you go into a five-minute dissertation, as I've been known to do, to talk about what the rule is, what the call is, what the, what the angles are, talk keyhole, wedge, whatever you want to call it, if you actually want to go through the analysis of the thing and say, oh, let's time this, I have an obstruction from Toronto or Buffalo, weird, coming yeah. up, <laughs> where I actually timed 
the play. I timed how long the obstruction, the actual hindrance of the, of the runner was versus the time difference between the fielder at the next base catching the ball and tagging the runner out. I did a scientific method on this. People don't want to be bothered and bored by that, but at the end of the day, it's the correct thing to do. Doing the right thing is not easy. It's not necessarily fun, and it's definitely not going to get you all the friends in the world. And by friends, I mean the fair weather fans that only follow you because you say what they want to hear. <laughs> right. John Boy were to get John Boy's videos of where he actually does really thorough analysis on Yankee stuff. Great. Yeah. The great analysis videos have the fewest views. And this is in the modern day. August of 2020. His most popular videos are the two minutes. His niche is the two minute umpire bashing video. His that's his bread and butter. But his actual thorough thoughtful, insightful Yankee analysis videos that are longer get very, very few views. And that's very sim- sim- it's a, a symbolism that really extends to a whole bunch of other things that happen. You're absolutely right. You know, you're, you, what, you, what I feel, you know, not to toot my own horn a little bit, but I feel like that kind of described what I go through with OSIP, you know, in that we, you know, we, we don't, I, I, I hate to put it this way, we try not to sell out. And by not selling out, the number of people who download the podcast and click the websites and whatnot is not as high as I would ever like it to be. And, and, I, and it's, it's, the correlation is there. Um, final thing before I let you guys go. I had a, I had a friend of mine who is in the media. Uh, he works in the New York market. Great dude. Love him to death. Um, he's, he has worked for a lot of Yankee, uh, media people and whatnot. And I was having a discussion with him. Uh, I think it was around the same time as the savages in the box thing. And I think there was also one with, um, I want to say it was Greg Gibson down the first baseline where he may have missed a home run because the, the ball, I think hit the top of the yellow line on the, on the, uh, the, the wall instead of the, the yellow on the pole. And it was, I mean, it was clearly a, a hard thing to see. And I think they got it right on replay eventually. But in the discussion I was having with him, I was basically mentioning like, these are human people, you know, they're going to, they're going to make mistakes and I'm sorry. And his response to me was, well, sorry, doesn't fix the lamp. And, you know, and, and maybe he used it, you know, in the Billy Madison way of saying, well, sorry, doesn't put the tristic crackers in my stomach. Now does it Carl? And, and I laughed hysterically, and then I went out and bought Triscuit Crackers. But um, Triscuit Crackers, if you're listening, if you'd like to sponsor the show, please contact me. Uh, but, but, you know, how do, we, how do we respond to that? How do we get people to say, you know, maybe that's not the right answer, or maybe there's a, there's a better answer or something like that, if there yeah, is I, one? I, I, this, is what, like, this is what I've learned. Like, 10 years ago, Tim would have been like, hey, to that guy, hey, hey jerk, uh, you know, I have a website where I log all the replays every day. So what I can tell you is you just made that up yeah. and it's Angel Hernandez. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> By the way, since right. you seem to know everything already and you're handing me, you know, a lineup card now, don't talk to me ever again. No, but, right. but that's, yeah. that's how you feel. That's why you talk about anxiety. Now I'm in a position where I actually remember having this conversation. I backed up like four steps, let them talk to those guys. I'm only part of this. Right. Like, 
I don't want to be part of the stupidity. But now I've lost the question. Now I've lost the question that you asked me. What, uh, what, do, what do you say to a guy who, who just says sorry doesn't put the Triscuit crackers in so my stomach? So you can't fix these guys that don't understand the way it is. And, you know, I, and I'm not a big fan of saying, well, how many games have you umpired? Because anybody can say that. How, how many yeah. movies have you made, Jack? You can't criticize yeah. a movie because you never made one. Yeah. You, know, you never coached NFL football, so you can't criticize a guy running the ball in third and eight. You right. know, I mean, so absolutely. But what I would like to do is I tell people, and I don't have a card. Everybody says carry a card. Just do me a favor. Go to closecallsports.com. Engage with us a little bit. And they never, most of them never do. A couple have written to me and said, oh, I came here because, you know, you, but that's the thing. I want to get people in a spot where they can say, hey, there's another side to this. Yeah. There's, a, there's an opportunity for you to maybe be engaged and understand that, tie doesn't go to the runner right that's another thing that i you know hey uh there's a tie at first base what happens oh it goes to the runner like you know right away this guy, guy doesn't know what he's talking about yep doesn't know what he's talking about and this is going to be the same guy that's arguing you from the from the dugout on a swipe tag at second base in the fifth inning of a 1-1 game he's right. going to be screaming like you know he's there's you can't fix the guys that don't want to be fixed you know right so we all know this like if you want to be if you want to get you know self-improvement you have to want it it, right. You know, and most of these people don't want it. They just want to, as Gil, to Gil's point earlier said, they just want to be angry. They want to yell at people. You know, it does nothing to do with uh, being angry towards the umpires. Uh, at that moment, though, they want to be yell at somebody. And yeah. we're convenient. And, and to that media person, uh, I'm in the New York area. So um, I would love to know who that is because I might know who that person is with all the people I know that work with the Yankees and Mets. And let me just tell you this, that I think that New York media is very fair to umpires, but that doesn't mean we still don't have work to do to educate, you know, uh, people as to, you know, what an umpire's job is. Keith Hernandez is a great example. Right. You know, uh, he don't have a clue. Yeah. (laughs) He didn't didn't know what a PB&J was recently. Is that true? Well, That's very true. Talking. Yeah, and, and I think Ron Darling had to explain it to him. And now, you know, I, just, I, I can't even look at him without thinking, like, you know what? I think there was a but second spitter. I want to say something else. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, <laughs> it was McDowell up on yeah. the gravelly road. Exactly. Uh, That's but, one magic loogie. You mentioned uh, that Paul O'Neill is a jerk towards the umpires and usually yeah. has been. But you know who's on those broadcasts and usually very fair to umpires, including the uh, replay that happened yesterday? David Cohn. Yes. And David Cohn actually knows the rules. It's very bizarre. He actually has talked to umpires clearly uh, because he was talking the other day when Paul O'Neill said, you know, that the umpire didn't see it. And Cohn goes, well, he wouldn't see that foul tip. He'd hear it. Right. Yeah. Uh, in this Braves. And, and so that type of thing, telling, a, you know, the fans that, the millions of people that are listening, that's very important to what we're trying to do. So I, I've, I've noticed ever since Chris, Chris Welsh started BaseballRulesAcademy.com that he's been very fair to the umpires on, on air. And when Brenneman might say something like, oh, that was a bad call, he comes in and says, well, let's, this is the rule. This is what the umpire probably saw. And this is the reason that he he, he doesn't he doesn't do the. It, it appears that if you educate yourself, you're you're a more pleasant person. But what my what my advice to to any of the umpires who have to deal with this stuff would be um, is to simply you know my, my, I'm just going to read the rule that is that will constitute the breadth of my advice. It is in rule you can find it in rule on the official baseball rules eight point zero zero at the very last section called general instructions. 
and it states, do not allow criticism to keep you from studying out bad situations that may lead to protested games. Carry your rule book. It is better to consult the rules and hold up the game 10 minutes to decide a naughty problem than to have a game thrown out on protest and replay. You are no doubt are going to make mistakes, but never attempt to even up after having made one. Make all decisions as you see them and forget which is the home or visiting club. Umpire dignity is important, but never as important as being right, being positioned to see every play. Finally, be courteous, impartial, and firm, and so compel respect from all. And if you don't, and if you don't get that compel, compilation of, of respect after that, that's okay. Yeah. It makes, me, it makes me yearn for the ideas of having uh, headsets that I can go to on even a high school game just to say, hey, I need a rules check on something. But we haven't gotten to that point yet in, in technology. Um, gentlemen, before we wrap up, uh, I'd like to turn it over to you guys if you have any final thoughts, anything you'd like to add before I uh, plug you guys incessantly and then thank you incessantly. Well, I thank you for having us on. You know, any chance that we get to spread the message out, uh, we're going to try to do that. And people have, have asked me, well, why are you promoting all these other websites? And, and Gil just promoted BaseballRulesAcademy.com that uh, Cincinnati Reds uh, analyst Chris Welsh has. And, and my argument is this, the more people that we can get talking about this, the better. Uh, I don't want to have, you know, the, the, uh, the code, the only person that's out there screaming about this. You know, the more people we have like Chris and some of these other uh, outlets that have popped up, that's great. And I hope that one of them becomes more popular than us. Yeah. You know, good luck. I mean, yeah. but, you know, it, it's, it's really, really hard to get people to care about umpires. Really, yeah. really hard. So, you know, it's just, it's, we don't, they're not known entities. Um, and the ones we do know, we're taught to not like, you know. And, and there's one guy that I think has kind of, you know, we haven't really talked about him all that much, that has kind of changed the way people view him. That's Greg Gibson. He used to be really not well-liked, you know, in that same NL range of Angel Hernandez and Joe West. And over the years, he's kind of become this cult icon, uh, the home plate umpire Greg Gibson. Yeah. The, only re the, only re the only reason people know of the Greg Gibson, the home plate umpire, is because MLB promoted him. It's because because in those in those YouTube videos, MLB put it coming attractions or like their little ad bump at the end, a little five second clip of different things, and it always led off with the same three clips. And the lead clip of that was always the same thing: Greg Gibson, the home plate umpire, motioning to the benches, and the Dodgers celebrating in their dugout on that anthem standoff in St. Louis. So they promoted Greg Gibson simply by playing that clip. So people got to know Greg by name recognition and name recognition alone. And, oh, the reason that I know Greg Gibson doesn't have anything to do with a bad call. It's actually a funny situation. So it made me laugh. That's a positive. Therefore, I think Greg Gibson is really good. That's how easy. That's how easy PR is. Yeah, he is pretty. He is pretty good. We should we should probably start a Greg Gibson fan club. Uh, we got to start the Jack Furlong one first. Time's, oh, time's ticking. That's that's that that's a whole other podcast. That's 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 a dissertation that we have to write, and uh, I have doctors who need to speak to you about that. Actually, um, if we didn't let Gil have it killed. We didn't kill. You didn't. Yeah. What? You got anything I, to say? I I, I totally uh, obliterated your final thought. I'm sorry. Yeah, Jerry's final thought. Um, <laughs> <laughs> May you never be on my show. 
may be, yeah, may never be on my show. The, the final thought is on officiating this, this pandemic has for me, um, pro produced a most welcome unexpected vacation. And it, it's, it's caused me to really think about what, what, what do I like about the job and what, what do I not like about the job? <clears throat> and it, and, and quite frankly, it's, it's probably the same thing that many other people say. And, in terms of you, you, you like the, you like the gig of just calling the game, doing doing the work, the actual officiating work, calling balls and strikes, or or seeing a, seeing someone celebrate because their team made a good play, or or having that excitement. What you don't like about the gig is that <clears throat> a player or a coach gets on you for for some stupid reason that you might not see that they see or they infer or what, what have you. And, and the, 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 they just won't shut up about it. And so that, that got me thinking of, well, maybe it's time for officials to set those stronger boundaries. And maybe it's not that bad of a thing to have a character like Joe West, who doesn't take the gump that, that they want some of the newer people to take. Maybe that maybe that boundary setting is really important for for your own well being as an official, and then you just have to have that confidence to go forward and say, if someone's conduct, which is outside the confines of the game, outside the confines of the rules of the game, if someone's conduct is really distracting me and preventing me from giving my all to this job, then that needs to be addressed, and I should expect and I should accept that they're doing it because that's on them and I'm not going to change them and that's okay. But the rule book and the game is really quite clear on how that needs to be addressed. And I shouldn't act without hesitation in addressing the sportsmanship rules to promote good sportsmanship in the future and establish, because we talk about outstanding sportsmanship is paramount and we talk about the promotion of sportsmanship and we have to accept that sometimes negative reinforcement is quite necessary to establishing good sportsmanship for the future. I, I, I couldn't have said it better. And I think what's great about that is that, you know, it's, it's tough sometimes to be that parent. It's tough sometimes to, to, to set that boundary because we, we don't want to come off that way. Uh, but, it is, it's, it, it becomes a necessity. And, and, and I think, I think that's something that we can work on, not just in officiating, but I think in, in life too, sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to, um, to deal with confrontation. It's difficult to deal with conflict. And, 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 you know, that, that's not specific to officiating or sports. So it leaves us in a really good place to, to know that there are, plenty of good people in the world to, to uh, you know, further promote the message like the, like the Tom Greaves of the world uh, to, you know, to, to boost the confidence of a young umpire. And there's still plenty of work to be done, uh, you know, when you see the likes of like a Phil Nevin or a Paul O'Neill and, and what they say about, you know, uh, an Angel Hernandez. And, and, you know, our job is never done. Uh, whether, whether it's here at OSIP or over at close call sports, um, 
gentlemen, I can't thank you enough for being on. Once again, everybody, uh, CloseCallSports.com is, is the premier website, in my opinion, for analyzing, officiating, uh, specifically right now with baseball, uh, you know, the, the rules, interpretations, the case plays, the ejections, the umpire ejection, fantasy league, the whole nine, the podcast, the plate meeting, the guests they get are amazing. That's a lot of stuff we do. You do a lot. You do guys do a lot. Um, you know, and, and, and I consider it uh, a major resource and, and, you know, a, a great place to, to kind of, you know, waste a few hours sometimes. Um, and let me just say that, cause that was all the stuff that Gil did. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, we also chart and, and look at, and I look at it, you know, a hundred plays a day probably, but you know, and I send them all to Gil and Gil's like, no, that one stinks. <laughs> <laughs> But, That's the PR. That's really easy, right? But we also chart every replay. And we have, you know, a, a part of our website. And I think that's really cool to look at what umpires are missing. You know, you know, obviously pickoffs have become an issue this year because we're social distancing in our, in our tag play calls. So, you know, we're not only just doing that ejection stuff that everybody likes. We're getting really wonky with the numbers and the stats and, and, and trying to, you know, have a, a – a little bit of everything for everyone. I mean, you know, so I think that even the casual observer could go in and, you know, I know that there are certain, and, and I've told Gil about this, that there are certain broadcasts that are going to our site for the numbers of, of the replay numbers. So, you know, um, cause it's, it's updated. Yeah. I, I guess major league baseball was sending it out last year weekly, but we do it every day or, or well, for the most part, depending on where I am, but you know, trying to do that, it's it just every little detail. And let me tell you what, I'm not into fantasy sports, but I think that if, if people want a free fantasy league, that the, the umpire ejection fantasy league is as cool as it comes because it helps the, it shows for the most part, the official that is doing the best in terms of replay and ejections correctly and and that there's my plug for uh, close calls. Amen. Thanks, for, thanks, Jack. That's it's my pleasure, guys. Thank you again, uh, Gil and, and Tim for for being here. Uh, once again, closecallsports.com uh, is is the place to be for for OSIP. Once again, it's osipfoundation.org. Uh, podcast at osipfoundation.org. Facebook.com/slash osipfoundation. Twitter and Instagram at osipfoundation. Hashtag How you play the game. Uh, that about wraps this one up. We, we thank everybody for, for being with us through this, this great discussion. Uh, I have to get back to my other day job as the baking umpire, where I have learned how to bake during this pandemic and uh, putting on uh, the full uniform and ejecting people from the kitchen who try and eat things before they're ready is hilarious. Um, and uh, when that gets on YouTube, I expect millions and millions of subscribers subscribers so uh guys thanks again it's been a pleasure and uh we will we'll catch up with you down the road thanks so much jack thank you it's it's, it's been great thanks guys and once again to all of our listeners uh thank you again for being with us and until uh next month uh treat each other with respect how you play the game is a production of the osip foundation incorporated the producer engineer of this episode is sean ryan music by soundspring studio the executive producer of How You Play the Game is Jack Furlong. For more information, visit osifoundation.org.